Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. The earthly sanctuary symbolised the work of salvation under the Old Covenant. This Old Covenant was renewed by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to discuss the sanctuary system and the work of salvation under the New Covenant. To discuss this topic today, we have Colin Hone and Adrian Craig. Welcome. Welcome. Before we start this discussion, let's bow our head for prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this wonderful topic, the sanctuary. And as we discuss it now, we ask please for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our topic today is the sanctuary. So we're going to start from the very beginning. Colin, what were the events which led up to the, uh, to the earthly sanctuary coming into existence? So we read in um, Exodus uh, chapter 19, verse 4 to 8, where God had led Israel out of Egypt and he led them to the, uh, to the you know, bottom of Mount Sinai. And so he then calls Moses up to the mountain and he basically says, I want to make a covenant, which we would call the old covenant today. Uh, they'd had lost their knowledge of God, the people while they were in slavery for over 400 years. And so um, we would call that, and, and they agreed to follow it. And you read that in verse 5, uh, where God says, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And then he goes in verse 8, and the people says, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people of the Lord. So they agreed to this covenant. And then later on, God then uh, gives the uh, in Exodus chapter twenty, he gives them the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. Not only had they forgotten, but there was also a mixed multitude which didn't know anything about yes. the Lord. Good point. So, Adrian, with that, when did the sanctuary actually, the earthly sanctuary, come into being? Um, if you look into Exodus twenty-five, verses eight and nine, it says, "Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them." Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So it's the same time that this is, same time as we've, uh, a column is referred to. Now it's interesting that God says that He wants to dwell with them when He's already dwelling with them. Yeah. What was the cloud all about and what was the manner all about? God was dwelling with them. Well, I was going to get to that point. Um, we have a God of the universe, this great, awesome God. And yet, and he's our creator, and it is asking to dwell amongst the Israelites. Mm. What's all that about? Well, in John chapter 1, verse uh, 1, John chapter 4, verse 8, God is described as God is love. And God is relation, relational. He made us in his image, and God is relational, and we're relational. And basically, God wants to hang out with us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. And you see it even in the Garden of Eden. So... How did God dwell with us? Well, he dwelt in a garden because that's where we lived. In here, he wanted to build a sanctuary, which was a, was a tent, because the people were dwelling in tents. And you look in the, uh, ultimately, Jesus said, I want to come and dwell with you as one of you, as, as a man. And so you, you see this constant God wanting to dwell us, with us. 
Yeah, we were discussing earlier in regards to Solomon. What was your comment with that, uh, Adrian, with Solomon? Well, Solomon, Solomon actually prayed in the dedication prayer of the temple. He said, um, don't think that we're going to contain God in this temple. Well, why even the heavens can't contain him, how much less this place. He's, however, he said, Lord, will you put your eyes and your heart in this place? Thank you that you're going to be with us and to look after us and to care for us. And of course, you go down to Revelation 21, verse 3, and, and this whole concept of fellowship and togetherness goes right through to the new earth. And it says in 21, Revelation 21, verse 3, um, if I can find it, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God repeatedly saying, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be with you. Garden of Eden all over again. It just highlights and, and emphasises the relationship mm. side of our, our creator. In, in Leviticus 26, in verses 1 to 10, we have a description of the blessings which will be given to the Israelites if they're faithful. And then from verse 14 onwards, we have some rather chilling curses if they are disobedient. And right in the middle, in verses 11 to 13, we, we have this, and it says, And I'll set, set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I'll make you, and, will, and, so, and I'll be among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen, and I have broken the hand, bands of your yoke and made you go upright. What does it mean here when it says, just unpack this for me, when it says, I will not abhor you? What's all that about? He wants to dwell with us, but doesn't want to abhor you. He, he won't repulse us because of our, we've been faithful to the covenant. If we're not faithful to the covenant, in other words, we're committing sin. Therefore, that, that um, doesn't make us ready for his presence. So God is trying to highlight the fact that uh, he doesn't like sin. Sin is, uh, what shall I say, an embarrassment to God. Maybe that's not the right word, but sin is not good. Mm. Yep. When we go through Exodus, we have <clears throat> from, verse, from chapters 25 to 31, we have the description of this the sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary, which was um, the instructions were given to Moses. And then in Leviticus, we have um, chapters 1 to chapter 7, the system of sacrifices which go with the sanctuary. So, Colin, just uh, tell us, how did a sinner back then um, get forgiveness of sins through the sanctuary? Yes, so what happens, I'll just read Romans chapter 6, verse 23 quickly, because I think it gives us some insight here. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So the penalty is death. That's, that's the, you know, the penalty for sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so basically God has to remove sin from the sinner. And the penalty is death. So what happens is something has to die or somebody has to die. Without the shredding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so... You find that even in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, it says, The soul that sinneth, he shall die. So what happens is there has to be a transfer, all right, from our sins, had to be transferred uh, to a sheep or a goat or a dove, depending on, on, the, on the sin. And so it was transferred from you to the animal. So you would lay your hands mm. on, on the animal, 
or whatever the substitute, and then basically that animal then was that died in your place, and its blood was then taken into the sanctuary. So that's how it was dealt with. Uh, the animal's death paid for the price of the sin. This point, this good, yeah, this point about the the life being in the blood. In Leviticus 17 and verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, mm. and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes, maketh an atonement for the soul. Yes. So they're saying something had to die for sin. It was interesting in the Old Testament that when you bought the, the, uh, your um, lamb, for example, you would lay your hands on it. You would actually have to kill the lamb yourself. Mm. And the priest would take the blood, in, the blood into, the, into the sanctuary. It was actually you that caused the death of, of that animal, which pointed obviously to Jesus. Yeah. And it says that we, they had to choose an animal without spot or blemish. Um, Adrian, why did the sacrifice have to be without spot or blemish? The sacrifice was pointing forward to Jesus, who was sinless without any imperfection. And so the sacrifice that was being offered had to be a whole good not one that was crippled or anything like that. Pointing forward to Jesus. Let me read a couple of texts here. Uh, Matthew 26, uh, verse 28, where Jesus says in celebrating the Lord's Supper, then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered them saying, drink it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is referring to the blood, the, the, the grape juice here as a symbol of his blood. Mm. And also if you look in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, is it verse 19? Yeah. Where it says, or Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Yeah. So the, the sacrifice is pointing to Jesus who was sinless, so therefore it must be without blemish. Yeah. Which brings us to another point. Colin, was there anything at all in the sanctuary system where a sinner could get forgiveness or salvation without shedding blood? No. Basically, the answer is no. And you, again, we go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, when I mentioned before about the, the shedding of blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So it's the only way there has to be a shedding of blood, which means there has to be a death uh, or a substitute. And, um, you know, we go back and look at uh, the sacrifice of um, Cain and Abel. Two different types. One brought a lamb that was obviously sacrificed and there was a shedding of blood. The other, Cain, brought his own efforts of his work of his own hands and try to have that to atone for his sins. It was a you're trying to have a bloodless sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. And look, we see that today with some Christians. They use works to try and get salvation. Yes. Yeah. But the system that we're reading about, that was impossible. There had to be blood shed for salvation. We need to, we need to note that that verse in verse 22 of chapter 9 of Hebrews says, almost all things. There were a few exceptions, but generally speaking, well, maybe better than generally, the, the rule was blood. Yep. But there were occasions when there were a few exceptions. That's why he says almost all things. Can you imagine, though, if you had to shed the blood of, or kill an animal, sacrifice an animal every time you sinned, 
what psychologically would that do for you? How would that impact on you? Well, particularly if it was the best of your flock and you're giving it as a sacrifice. Because it was without spot or blemish. Yeah, so you're, you're giving something very valuable. So constantly you're reminded that sin is horrible. Mm-hmm. Sin robs us. Sin takes away our perceptions. It twists our emotions. And to use the figure of Jesus, we end up in a pig pen. That's where the brother was, in the pig pen. Uh, graphic illustration to me of what sin does is the story of Samson. Eyes gouged out, he's grinding corn in a Philistine jail. Have mercy. <laughs> yeah. These, these uh, animal sacrifices without spot or blemish, we read earlier, First Peter 1, 9, that Jesus was without spot or blemish. So, Colin, what was the prophetic significance of the sacrificial uh, animals? Well, it was a type that pointed to Christ. The the whole point was pointing to the future of a Christ. Um, The innocent animal's sacrifice was led without a a struggle to the sanctuary. And it pointed to this future redeemer. And we read in Isaiah, for example, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. And it's speaking about this prophetic um, future of, of the Christ. It says here, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers silent. So he opened not his mouth. So he went there willingly. He gave it voluntary without a stru- without a struggle. He didn't fight against it. He did it willing, just like the lamb is led mm. to the sacrifice. And like Philip identified with this um, suffering to the Ethiopian Remember in Acts chapter eight. He's um, magically or miracle, miraculous is a better word, mm. miraculously transported. And he's talking to the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian was reading that very verse. And, um, and Philip gets up there and explains it to him that this was from Isaiah was pointing to Jesus as that sacrifice. That's a, a graphic story, really. Yes. You know, um, Isaiah 53 is the most referred to Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And he have an example of the man reading. Who's he talking about? He's saying to Philip, well, move over and I'll tell you. If you had any doubt who the suffering servant was, Acts chapter 8 confirms unequivocally it was Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once sin was confessed, um, the animal slain, the blood was transferred to the sanctuary. But that's not the end of the story. Um, we also have in the, sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary, there was, there was the role of the priest. Just describe us what that role was. The priest, uh, Cole um, Rod, was the, uh, the mediator between Jesus and the people. And so uh, he is mediating on behalf of the, the one who sinned. If the priest, it was the priest who took the blood from the, mm. from the slain sacrifice and placed it in the, in the sanctuary. And without the priest, the blood of the sacrifice couldn't be taken into the sanctuary. So the conditions of the covenant, we need to highlight this, the condition of the covenant was broken. And uh, the only place where those conditions could be sorted out, atoned for whatever, was in the sanctuary. So what happened to the prodigal? When he went mm-hmm. back to the father's house, yeah. he'd, receive, he'd receive forgiveness. Against you and you only have I sinned. Just going back to Exodus 25, verse 9, where it says, uh, According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle, 
which pattern is this? Well, let's read Hebrews chapter 8 and let's go to uh, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, where Paul is unpacking the new priestly service and he's talking about Jesus is ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, now, it says, Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. In other words, it was a almost like a replica or a shadow or a copy of the heavenly sanctuary. A model. A model. It would be yeah. a great way of putting it. Yeah. 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 Okay, so what actually ended then the old covenant? The earthly covenant? What? What ended it? What was the uh, events which brought the old covenant, the old sanctuary, earthly system to an end? Well, the whole New Testament story of the cross when Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, actually arrived. That was the end of it. You remember uh, when Jesus died on the cross, the, uh, the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, not the bottom to the top, indicated mm. as done by supernatural, mm. supernatural means. And of course, Daniel 9, the, the last verse, 27 says, He shall cause the sacrifice and the offering or the oblation to cease. In the midst of the week, he confirmed the covenant. Mm. So it was Jesus who brought it to an end. You, you've got to wonder what the priests would have thought seeing the, this thick veil torn from the top to the bottom. Pretty hard to explain, isn't it? <laughs> well, if those, those of our viewers who have a copy of Desire of Ages can read the story. It says the knife fell from the nerveless hand of the priest. Hmm. So what is Jesus now doing in the heavenly sanctuary? What's, what's happening up there now? Well, he's doing the role of the high priest. And we can read that in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verses 1 and 2. And Paul's just unpacked the whole priesthood. He's unpacked the, uh, the, uh, the sanctuary. And then he says this. Now, this is the main point of the things we're saying. So he's trying to make a point, yep. the main point. We have such a high priest who was seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected. In other words, God erected this one and not man. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus is that high priest who's, who's acting on our behalf in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Hmm. So Adrian, what's the distinction between the priest and the high priest? Well, the high priest is, as the words indicates, he's high, he's the, he's the number one. He can actually perform the duties of the common priest, but uh, he's specifically noted for his involvement on the most important feast day of the Jewish calendar, that of the Day of Atonement, when he actually went into what was the very presence of God into the most holy place, and he only, they only went there once a year. So he had a very important role. Okay, so we have Jesus now as our high priest in heaven. Colin... Um what is Jesus doing as the high priest right now for us? Well, Jesus has made the sacrifice. He's made the sacrifice on the cross. Uh, it was representing that lamb on the day of atonement that, um, that the, whole, the whole sins of Israel were placed upon that lamb and then the blood was put, taken into the most holy place. So he's made the sacrifice sins of all mankind. Now he's in heaven um, officiating on our behalf as the high priest before the Father with his own blood. So it's a perfect sacrifice and we have a perfect, well, it's better, isn't it? The whole book of Hebrews is about, it's better. 
of a yeah. better high priest, a better sacrifice. Mm. And I would probably should add verse 25 to that of uh, Hebrews 7, where it says, He ever liveth, he lives, always lives to mm. intercede for us. Mm. So there's not a moment when he's inactive on our behalf. Mm. He always lives to make ever intercession. Yes. Just, just going back to the Old Testament for a second, the old earthly sanctuary, how important was faith in the earthly sanctuary system? Faith for the sinner? Very, very important. Just as important for those who are living after the cross as those who are living before the cross. And we need to acknowledge that every time, I'll say, a true believer from the Old Testament made a sacrifice, he saw that it wasn't the sacrifice in itself that was of value, it was what the sacrifice pointed forward to. Mm. And of course, the great book of Hebrews, which is talking a lot about the sanctuary and Jesus' ministry in the sanctuary, uh, ends up with a whole list of the faithful in Hebrews 11. And I think what Paul is saying is, don't miss my point that even though it was goats and bulls and what have you that they were offering, the true Israelites saw that indeed in the sacrifice, this was pointing forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. And so you've got examples like Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He endured as seeing him as invisible. Or, Mo or Abraham's story. He uh, looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. People often miss that point of the faith that was needed back then. They were saved by their faith yes. in the coming Messiah. Yes. Colin, contrast that with us now with people of today and faith. Well, today we're under what's called the new covenant. The basis is still on the law of God, the covenant. And we look back at the historical reality of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we look back at his, at his life, death and resurrection. And we, in faith, we trust that Jesus died on the cross and paid that penalty for us. And we also trust that he is also at the right hand of the Father. Well, we have faith um, that the blood of Jesus takes away the sin, our sins. So we, we have faith and belief. So, so one group are looking forward in faith. We're looking back. And another group is looking back in faith. But faith is, is the key. But we're all looking at the same person. Yes. Right. Yes. Whether we're Old Testament or New Testament. Yeah. And there's no confusion who that person is. No. Because as we said earlier in Acts chapter 8, Jesus was identified as a suffering servant, as the, the saviour of the lamb to the slaughter, yeah. who voluntarily gave his life. And there's, there's a whole, the whole Old Testament is, the, a lot of it is prophetically pointing to Jesus. There's so many prophecies pointing to Jesus as that Messiah uh, who, would, who would do what he would do. Well, it's interesting, uh, if we, right, if we go back to Hebrews 11 again, when you finish reading Hebrews 11, then Hebrews 12 says, therefore look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So you who are listening, note what happened in the past. You've got to replicate it. Keep looking to Jesus until the end, the one who endured the cross, despising the shame. So we have Jesus um, acting as our high priest. Mm. What is an exciting element of this? What's What's so good news for us about this, that Jesus is our high priest? Well, let's read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. 
And it's just a beautiful verse here which says, it's talking about Jesus who is a, who is a better high priest, better sacrifice. Uh, he goes, therefore, and it says just before, he continues forever as a priest, as the high priest. There's no change because he, he's... Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So it doesn't matter what we've done. No sin is too great. Christ is always there to forgive and to save us from our sins. And also in 1 John 1.19, where it says, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. So we can come to him no matter what we've done. And, uh, and we can be forgiven and pardoned. And Rod, the important thing is to re- recognise what Hebrews 4 says, that the one who is our high priest, who is operating on our behalf, who is dispensing holiness in order that we might stand tall, is the one who's been here. Mm. No trader can ever say he doesn't know what a tradesman's like because he's, he was a carpenter. Mm. No teenager can ever say he doesn't know about teenagers. He was a teenager. Mm. And he lived in a single parent family. He lost his dad. So he knew the vicissitudes of life that we go through. So this is of comfort to me. I don't think he needs to be human in order to convince me that he knows about me, but he's gone the, he's gone the extra step to say, I want you to know that I understand all about your situation. Because verse 4.15 says, this is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our mm. infirmities, mm. but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. This is the same Jesus who walked the streets, the dusty streets, who healed the sick, who preached the brokenhearted, who set the captives free. Who went to sleep in a boat. Yes. In a storm. All the things that we go through, he's been there and done that. Yeah. And he's our high priest, Again. ministering his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Mm-hmm. I love it. In verse five, Hebrews 5, it says it again. He can have, 5 verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he's required as for the people or himself to offer sacrifice. I mean, it's just incredible that he became one with us. It still blows my mind. So how complete is, is his, um, his mission, his, his sacrifice? Just sum that up. You got a text for us on that? Well, we, we got Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, where it does say we can have utmost confidence that, that, that he has paid the penalty and that we can go to him. So we have a complete 100% confidence. So effectively, it doesn't matter what we do, how bad we've been, his sacrifice covers everything. It's sufficient. And he gives us the strength to live for the yeah. day. Well, thank you for that great discussion. The old covenant sacrificial system was replaced by the new. And instead of animals being sacrificed by erring priests in an earthly sanctuary, we now have Jesus, our perfect sacrifice and high priest. He represents, represents us before the Father in the sanctuary in heaven, which forms the basis of the new covenant and its promises. This is great news. We're glad you're with us today on Let God Speak. You can watch any past program on our website, 3abinaustralia.org.au. Teachers' helps can be downloaded from there. You can email us on lgs at 3abinaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time and God bless. 
You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.